We are in a series of sermons on the last days and uh, talking about the last days. We didn't go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, that talks all about last days, but we went to the front of the Bible, Genesis. Let's read from there. Genesis 5, beginning with verse 21. When Enoch uh, was 65 years old, his son Methuselah was born. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived another 300 years. How? In close fellowship with God. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years in all. He enjoyed what? A close relationship with God. How long? Throughout his whole life. Then suddenly, one day, he disappeared. Because God took him. In this first sermon series, in the last days series, it's kind of like a book, and chapter one is about Enoch. And we're going to go through this all the way through August. We'll be talking about the last days. We want to notice three things about Enoch. We've already talked about Enoch's times. What was it like in his times? What was society like? We found out that during Enoch's time, there was social permissiveness, a great falling away from God, a great backsliding, a great apostasy, social permissiveness. And we went to that, into that in great detail. As a matter of fact, we took two sermons to talk about his times. Today, what we want to look at is his testimony and his translation. Now, why is it important that we understand the times of Enoch? We understand the setting. We understand the society in which Enoch lived. Because I believe that the times of Enoch are a picture to us. They are a prophecy to us of what it's going to be like when the rapture of the church takes place. Because Enoch was the first person to ever be raptured. Now, you won't find the word rapture in the Bible, but you will find rapture taught in the Bible. You also won't find the word trinity, but we believe in the trinity, don't we? So, the rapture of the first human being was Enoch. Now, I don't believe God does things just to do a little trick and go, hey, watch this. Bloop. You know, I'm going to get Enoch. Wasn't that cool? God doesn't do that. There's a reason. There is a reason why God reached down and raptured Enoch out of the earth. And I believe what he was doing was saying to us, look at what it was like during Enoch's day because the way it was in Enoch's day when I raptured him is how it will be in your day when I rapture you, when I catch you away. So after the sin of Adam, there was a great falling away, great apostasy, and it happened just before Enoch was raptured. Now we um, found out that there was social permissiveness and scientific progressiveness and spiritual pride. If you want to listen to those messages, you can go online, listen to those absolutely free. Heard this morning that someone couldn't sleep last night, so they put in one of my sermons and it knocked them right out. So I'm there for you. Number two, not only his, time, not only his times, but let's talk about his testimony very quickly. 
In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, and it's up on the screen, Hebrews 11:5. if you look at the end of that verse, it says that Enoch had a testimony that pleased God. I believe that Enoch's testimony was verbal and lifestyle. I believe he talked it, but I believe he also walked it. Every one of you have a testimony. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, every single one of you have a testimony. What we hope you'll do is write it down. You need to write down your testimony so that when someone mentions or talks to you about God, you will have a plan to say, let me tell you what God has done for me. It's one of the greatest ways to begin your witness to a person you're trying to lead to the Lord. Begin by telling them what God has done for you. Now it appears to me, in my opinion, let me tell you about my opinion. It's very humble, but it's extremely accurate. So listen. <laughs> it appears based on Genesis 5.22 that Enoch, guys, if you'll put that verse up, that Enoch probably was kind of like everybody else in his time. Maybe really didn't think about God or, or, or focus on God very much. But look what it says. After the birth of Methuselah, after the birth of his son Methuselah, it says Enoch lived another 300 years. How? In close fellowship with God. It looks like to me, and, and it looks like the scripture is really making that clear is that something happened in Enoch's life after Methuselah was born, after his son Methuselah was born. Something changed in his life. How many of you parents sitting out there um, are closer to God because you have children? You just kind of, amen, amen. You kind of got serious, you know. Maybe you were uh, a Christian, but, but, you know, your kids hadn't come along yet, so there was still a lot of other stuff going on in your life. But when that child was born, it changed the way you looked at things. I want you to notice three things very quickly, and I'm going to go through this very quickly today. But I want you to notice three things about Enoch's walk with God. Number one, I believe one of the reasons that Enoch had such a great walk with God is because there was a warning from God that prompted fear in him. And we're going to talk about a good kind of fear today. Do you know there's a good kind of fear? Anybody here ever thought about naming their child Methuselah? Anybody? <laughs> Methuselah's a weird name. Y'all remember Johnny Cash had that song, Boy Named? There's a lot of old people here today. I heard about a governor in Tennessee. I don't know if this is true or not. But I heard there was a governor in Tennessee named Hogg was his last name, Hogg. Isn't that terrible? But you know what is worse? I also heard he named one of his daughters Ima. <laughs> and the other one, Yura. That's just not right. I don't know if that's true, but that is way funny, isn't it? Now, when you investigate the name Methuselah, this is so important. Get this. You will find that it is the compound of several words in the Hebrew, and this is what Methuselah's name means. And if you miss this right here, you're not going to understand the rest of the sermon. This is the key to the rest of the sermon. Methuselah's name meant, it shall be sent when he is dead. The name Methuselah means, it shall be sent 
when he is dead, it means this. It means when he is gone, it will come. So God is using Methuselah's name, I believe, to talk about the coming flood. Because Methuselah lived before the flood. And if you really study your Bible carefully, you will see that as soon as Methuselah died, the flood came. So Methuselah's name meant when he is dead. When Methuselah is dead, judgment, tribulation will come. When little Methui was born, um, well, you know his mama didn't call him Methuselah all the time. But y'all know when your mama calls your whole name, you're in trouble. Isn't that right? Farrell, you know, and you had some wiggle room, but if she ever said, Farrell Edwards Hardison, it's like, mm-hmm. You know, I already felt what was coming. But when little Methui was born, um, God was uh, sending Enoch a clear message. Look what it says in Amos 3 and 7. In Amos 3 and 7, it says, this is, look at this promise right here. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So that means before God does something, he's going to show it. He's going to speak it. So before God sent this flood, before God sent this judgment, before God sent tribulation, he found this man named Enoch, and he gave this man Enoch a special son whose name was Methuselah. And God said to Enoch, when your son Methuselah is gone, sir, judgment will come. And this judgment is going to descend from heaven. And I believe he was saying, Enoch, you can see around you that the people of the world are growing more and more vile. They're spiraling down morally. They're growing more corrupt and more wicked. And then God said, I cannot let it go on anymore. I cannot let it go on. Now it's clear in the Bible again that when you see Methuselah die, the flood comes. Now, think about this. Methuselah lived longer than any other man in the Bible. Do you know what that reveals? The love of God. He said, I, when Methuselah dies, I'm going to send judgment. And he let Methuselah live longer than any other man because God is so merciful. God is so kind. God wants to give us every chance. If you are here in this house this morning and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, you say, well, you guys are always talking about Jesus coming back and Jesus never comes back and he has to come back. Hey, listen, don't complain about that. This long suffering, this time that is passing, is God just giving you more time? Don't laugh at it. Don't mock us when we say Jesus is coming. Because you need to understand, he's giving you more time. You see, God sent a preacher. You know, Noah wasn't just a ship builder. He wasn't just a, a builder of great boats. As a matter of fact, he had never built a boat. As a matter of fact, there was no need for a boat back in that day. So this preacher is raised up. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say Noah's a preacher, but you haven't been reading the New Testament about Noah because in 2 Peter 2 and 5, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. 
And with the wrath of God before him and the ringing of hammers behind him, he preached to the people, come, love God, serve God, follow God. With tears streaming down his cheeks, Noah begged the people to repent. With tears streaming down his face, he said, get right with God. And listen to me, listen. And the patience of God waited and waited and waited after Noah preached sermon after sermon after sermon. And the, and the hammer was building the boat and the people mocked and they laughed and they ridiculed about a man building a boat in the middle of a desert. And that's how men laugh at preachers today when we stand in pulpits like this and say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And they laugh and they say, you preachers are always talking about that, but he, he never comes. Look what it says in 2 Peter 3 and 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Look at this. But he's long-suffering toward us. See, you, you trying to use the fact that Jesus, Jesus hasn't returned as evidence that he's not going to return is foolishness. It is the, the long-suffering of God toward us. Listen, if you don't know Christ, you need to be glad he hasn't come back yet because there's still time. There's still time for you. And then I love the last part of that verse, and we all know it well. It says, not willing, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He says, but that all should come to repentance. Listen to your pastor today. Listen to me. They laughed at Noah. They laughed at Noah, but the flood finally came. And the day of the Lord will finally come. 969 years, the patience of God waited. 969 years, the grace of God pleaded, but the flood came. And the love and the mercy of God is seen in his long suffering and in his patience. You see, there are two attributes of God. God is a God of love. It's amazing that J.J. Weeks and I, we never got to talk because they were so busy with camp and I was busy at the bridge. And so we never got to really communicate about what I was preaching and, and, and what they were going to sing. So God just kind of handled that today. Have you noticed? And all the music today was about the love of God. But ladies and gentlemen, there are two attributes of God. Yes, the love of God. Yes, the love of God. Yes, the love of God. And I preach on the love of God probably... 70, 80% of the time, but I want to tell you that not only is he a God of love, but you must understand, and I say this with all humility, and I say this with a broken heart, he is a God of justice. One writer said, the raging waters of God's wrath are furiously pounding against the dam of his mercy. And one of these days, the dam of God's mercy will give way to the waters of God's wrath. And today's generation will be judged like the generation of Noah was judged. The first time God judged the, water, the, the earth, how? With water. The second time he judges us, he will judge with fire. And I know when you talk about fear, the modernists and the psychologists and even a lot of religious leaders, they wrinkle their brow and they say, now brother... <clears throat> Do you think fear is the best way to 
motivate people to follow God and serve God. I don't think motivation is the best way, Pastor, do you? You know what? I don't. I don't think it's the best way. Really, what ought to motivate us to serve God is just tell you how much he loves you and you ought to just come running to the altar and say, anybody who loves me like that, and anybody who would die on the cross for me and be buried and raised from the dead for me, I'm going to serve him. But see, for some people it takes an understanding, it requires an understanding of what's going to happen if you don't follow God. It's important that we understand that there's some things about this subject we are preaching on and fear is involved and it ought to be involved, especially if you don't know the Lord. Let me give you a couple of verses about fear. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, not foolishness or ignorance. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You say, well, the Bible doesn't ever tell us we should be afraid. Well, watch this verse then. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Now one day, this old preacher will fade away. And you'll get some whippersnapper up here who thinks he knows something. I may have to come back and meet with him. And he might not do what I do, but you know what I like to do? I like to go back and read what the old preacher said. Is that all right? Is that okay with you guys? Amen. I'm going to go back and read what they said, and sometimes I'm going to tell you what they said. Because you know what? There wouldn't be a, a church here today called Whitley if it wasn't for those old preachers who came before us. Are you all with me out there? Do you know there are people who pave the path so that Whitley Church could sit here this morning packed out with people. This is a beautiful sight here this morning, and it is a dream come true for men who are dead and gone to heaven. This was their vision. And see, I'll pass one day, and another man will come, and the vision will grow, and it'll keep expanding, because it isn't my church. I'm just here for this time. It's my responsibility to lay such a foundation that a man can come and build on it for the glory of God. And the people said... But Vance Havner, anybody ever heard of Vance Havner? Vance Havner, great old preacher of old. He was hilarious, but buddy, when it came time to be serious, he knew how to be serious. I remember one funny thing he said. Somebody asked him one time what he thought about the condition of the church in the modern world. He said, well, I used to say the church had gone to the dogs, but I quit saying that out of respect for the canine community. Somebody had gotten on him one day about uh, preaching on things like hell and preaching on things like, you know, what was going to happen if Jesus came and you weren't saved, you, you didn't know Christ, and, and what's going to happen in the tribulation. And they said, they said, Brother Havner, you shouldn't try to scare people. You shouldn't try to scare people. I have people come up and say that to me from time to time when I preach it really strong. But I like what Vance Havner said. He said, you know what? I'd rather frighten you into heaven than lull you into hell. Amen, amen, amen. The same preacher, Vance Havner, went on to say, we've got a generation of people being chloroformed by the devil. Probably in our modern day, we'd say drugged. You know what? I believe that's why Peter said, be sober. Be vigilant. Be alert. 
You can't drift. If you're a Christian, but you're drifting. Can I just say to you, when you drift as a Christian, you always drift in the wrong direction. You never drift toward God. The flow of this world is going away from God, away from the church, away from the Bible. And if we draw nearer to God, we have to be sober and vigilant and march toward Him, fighting the current of this world. Hear the word of the Lord today. He said, we've been, we have a generation of people that have been chloroformed by the devil, laughing their way to hell, strutting their way to hell, ra racing toward judgment and refusing to believe that it is surely coming. I don't say this to be harsh or mean or, or come. I say this because I love you. If you're standing in the middle of Highway 7 and an 18-wheeler is coming and the brakes have gone out, I, is it harsh for me to run and say, move, move, move. There's an there's a 18-wheeler a coming. If you don't move, it's going to get. Is that harsh? No. That's the words of someone who loves you. That's the words of someone who cares about you. Don't let the modernist of our day tell you that preaching like I'm preaching today is, is too harsh and too strong. I tell you, these preachers that stand in the pulpit and, and preach their prissy little sermons and try to make everybody feel good, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to come a day you wish somebody would preach the Word of God to you. Amen, amen. Every time little Mathui Every time he got the colic, because you know, God told Enoch when he dies, judgment's coming. I bet, when she, I bet when his wife would say, Enoch, you know, Enoch's wife, Mavis, when she, that's, that's not true, she would, when she would say, um, Methuselah's got a cold, I bet old Enoch was like, well, get him well. <laughs> Call the doctor, because when he's gone, it's coming. So the first thing about Enoch's testimony was that there was a warning from God that prompted fear. Now let me give you this real quick. The second thing I want you to notice is there was a word from God that produced faith. Now, now I know what time it is, and I know it's way late, and I know my staff's freaking out, and I know the kids' church people are freaking out, but I've got to give you this message today. Freak out! Okay. There was a word from God that produced faith because you see, it isn't enough for me to stand up here and say to you, hell is real and the tribulation is real and there are some bad things coming. But if you know the Lord, you'll avoid all of those bad things. But you need to know, without Jesus, you will face those bad things. See, that creates a fear. That creates a respect for the situation. But see, fear isn't enough. Now we need faith. You have to believe. You have to believe on Christ and receive him. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:5, by faith Enoch, by faith Enoch. So we know Enoch had faith. So we jump from Hebrews 11:5 over to Romans 10:17, and the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing, hearing that brings faith has to come from the word of God. So somebody had to give Enoch the word of God. Or he could not have had what? Faith. You cannot have faith apart from the Word of God, not true faith. You have to hear the Word of God for there to be faith. That's why you have to witness. That's why you have to share Jesus. That's why you have to give your testimony. Because when you speak the Word of God to people, something supernatural happens inside of them.
So I don't know who gave Enoch the Word of God. I don't know who it was. You know, there wasn't a Bible back then. So maybe one day Enoch went up to Adam. And maybe he said, uh, Hey, Adam, you know, before you and Eve messed it up, you, you know when that was? And Adam goes, yeah. Hey, dude, what was it like before sin? And you know, I don't know that this setting ever happened. This is my imagination. Chapter 8, verse 4 of the book of Pharaoh. Okay. But I can see them there. And when Enoch asked Adam that question, maybe Adam shook his head in regret and hung his head down. Then he looked in Enoch's eyes and said, Oh, oh son, it was glorious. It was glorious. The fruit hung heavy on the vine all year long. It was everywhere. It wouldn't even spoil on the vine. It would just hang there until you picked it and ate it. It would never even, it would not rot. It would not spoil. Crystal clear rivers were everywhere. Flowers as far as the eye could see. Balmy breezes. The lion and the lamb frolicked and played in the same pasture. Oh, Enoch, words cannot describe how it was before sin. But Enoch, Enoch. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the best thing. The best thing was that in the cool of the day, God would come down. And he would take me by the hand. And we would walk the fields. And we would walk the flower-strewn pathways. And he would lead me to a sunlit hillside and there together we would watch the sun go down on his glorious creation. Oh, Enoch. Oh, Enoch. I loved him, Enoch. And he loved me. I can't even describe how good it was. And when he spoke that word... To Enoch, you know what I think happened? I think right there, right then, a deep desire, a deep spiritual desire sprung up in Enoch. And I think Enoch said, I want that. See, this is what happens in the hearts of people when you tell what Jesus has done for you. This is what happens in people's hearts when you share with them the goodness and the love of God. When you share with them a verse that meant something to you. When you share with them about the goodness of God and the power of God and the deliverance of God and the healing of God and how God comes along at the worst times and makes those times better. And when you share those things with people, something happens in their heart and something springs up. And they say, oh. And I believe Enoch said, I want that, I want that, I want that. So from this day on, from this day on, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God. See, there was a word that prompted faith. And there was a warning that prompted fear. But I want to give you one more thing. There was a walk that brought fellowship. Now let me give you this. Because it's so important. I know what time it is. Doesn't matter, but I know. Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God. Now this means he had close fellowship with him. But then in 11, Hebrews verse 5. In Hebrews 11.5, it says he pleased the Lord. So that speaks of his obedience. Now him walking with God speaks of his fellowship. Now listen to you, pastor, right now. This is essential. 
Your intimacy, your fellowship with God is rooted in your obedience. It's rooted in your obedience. You're going to have intimacy with God when you stop rebelling against God and when you hear the word of the Lord and walk in his ways. Walk in his ways. And that's going to bring you into intimacy with God. It says he walked with God, but then in Hebrews eleven five, 5, he pleased God. I remember another man in the Bible that says something about that. It was at the baptism of Jesus where we see the Trinity so perfectly displayed as the Father is speaking from heaven, the dove is coming down, or the Holy Spirit is coming down in the form of the dove. Jesus is in the water. He's about to be baptized. And we see there the Trinity right there at the baptism of Jesus. And from heaven, God spoke about the Son of God. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So that tells me, listen, that tells me that when I obey God, it pleases God. And that draws me into deep, intimate fellowship with God. Y'all remember this old hymn? Oh, how sweet to walk, to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. And then finally, his translation. Now, when I move the pulpit over here, that's a really good sign for you guys. We're talking about the signs of the times. You need to know how to read the signs. That was a good one. Let's talk about the translation real quick. What does that mean? That means he was caught up. That means he was down here on earth and God said, beam him up. Scotty. And so Enoch goes up. Now, listen, they couldn't find him. The Bible says they couldn't find him. That tells me they looked for him. It doesn't say that uh, uh, Enoch uh, just kind of, it just says Enoch disappeared. I don't know what he was doing when he disappeared. I don't know, could have been eating a meal, could have been walking down the street, but all of a sudden he disappeared and he was no more. He was with God. So, so this translation, watch me now, because this is going to happen to us. Y'all believe that? It's going to happen to us. Listen now. It was mysterious. Mysterious. That was mysterious music. You say, yes, it was. Um, it was mysterious. It was supernatural. I'm telling you, as surely as I stand before you this day, still morning, I have one more minute. Listen, that the newspapers will cry out and the media will cry out, extra, extra, read all about it, millions missing. I'm not kidding you. I know, listen, I know that the audience that I'm preaching to here today, there are those who understand and clap and are happy and they hear that because they, you know, but there are people here today, I believe, who are hearing this for the first time in their life or maybe they've heard little vestiges about it and they've heard people talk about it and laugh. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. The rapture of the church is going to happen. Now, you say, well, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to take the word of God that's been delivered to you, not just me today, but all in your past, and you're supposed to let it do to you what it did to Enoch, and you're supposed to say right now, I want to walk with God.
I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God. Because when that day happens, I want to go up. I want to be caught up. And you know what I think about that? You say, well, you might be wrong about that. I might be wrong, but I'd rather be wrong. Because if you're wrong, you're in bad shape. But if I'm wrong, I'm still okay. I believe that's going to happen. You say, well, I think it's going to happen. It doesn't matter to me really how it happens. Just so I end up with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So bow your head. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The step you need to make this morning is to receive Jesus. Right now, pray this prayer with me out loud to receive Jesus. Dear God, I've heard the word and I believe. Jesus died for me on the cross. He was buried and rose from the dead. Because he lives, I too can live. Dear Jesus, risen from the dead, I've been running from you, making excuses, but not today. I need you. I want to be prepared for this rapture. I ask you now, Come in my heart, sir. Forgive my sins. Wash me with your precious blood. Cleanse me. Save me. Adopt me. I receive you, dear Jesus, into my heart right now as my personal Savior. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed and nobody looking around, if you prayed that prayer and you weren't playing games, you mean business, you prayed that prayer, I want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. All right, everybody look up. The Bible says when people pray that prayer and they mean business and their life changes, there's a party in heaven. Let's get in on the party. Yep. Amen. Thank you. Keep it going, boys. Uh, first timers, you raised your hand. Go back there and pick up your gift on the way out. Thank you so much for coming to church today. Don't forget to sign up for all the stuff. Go buy uh, JJ Week's product table and order your CDs. Bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Love you.